How do we know when we're right or we're wrong? That's a tough one. Um, I like little history books, so I do these little things called U.S. History 101, and there's a couple of books out about U.S. history, and then the history timeline gives you every event, major event in history that takes place. But uh, in 152, I believe it is, it, it gives a disclaimer of oftentimes that people will argue over the issue. The Model T, I don't know how many of you ever heard that Ford said if you wanted a car, the only one he was building was the Model T, and it was black. And all you could get it in was black. And U.S. History 101, any color as long as it's black. Legend by Ford himself says that Ford told buyers they could only get a Model T in black. In fact, that was not true. The Model T was produced in other colors, including red. But most of us believe that the only way you could get a Model T was that it was in the color of black. Now, my son-in-law and I, we were talking about marriage the other day, and um, I shared with him when Elaine and I got married, Elaine could not have a credit card. J.C. Penney's card was in my name and my name only. She could not get one. She could not sign for credit. She could not go buy something and get it without me signing also unless she forged my name, which she had permission to do, to go ahead and sign my name also that she could get it. Women's rights in the 1800s were very limited. Husband had the legal right to exercise total authority over their wife. Boy, that better not be stated today. We have World War Three. But married women could not retain their own wages. You went to work. You brought your wages home. You did not have your own bank account, saving account. A woman was not considered to have her own money. Hear that, Kaylee? Can't have your own money. Married women could not retain their own wages, control their own property, or even keep custody of their children if they saw the divorce. A lot of things have changed. And at this time when this was enforced, people thought it was right. It was right. To get my dad's visa or passport, because the time in which he was born in Alabama, they were not giving black people 
birth certificates. All of you may recognize, or if you go back in your family history, that your date of birth was written in a book. So in this book, I kind of treasure it, my Uncle Gus, who I'm named after, he died the year that I was born. Bernie McGee, as my dad's half-brother, or they lived together with my Aunt Lizzie and were raised together, was born November 8, 1909. Gus Henry McGee moved to Barberton, Ohio, January 21st. 1921. Lizzie McGee was born May 13, 1895. Minnie Brown, my dad's mom, was born October 16, 1897. One reason I remember her birthday because that was the end of the Indian Wars. Sellers Brown, my dad, was born in Socom, Alabama. July 29th, 1915. And that's how we were able to get his passport. To be able to go on a cruise and travel because he didn't have a birth certificate. But this book proved his birth. There are things that happen in history that is not right. If you begin to read this America in Prophecy, it begins to explain how righteous or how good America is and how great America is. But even in America's greatness, there was sin. There was wrongness. And what we're going to speak about today is being convicted of righteousness by the Holy Spirit. Being convicted of righteousness by the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago we talked about sin. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit will convict us of righteousness. The Holy Spirit will convict us of judgment. And those areas that we're going to somewhat cover. But now to the side just for a moment. Next week, Melvin is going to broadcast from North Carolina, I believe it is, or Florida? Florida. From Florida. He's going to be live on TV. So Sunday school, you can come, and we're going to have TV class over here with Melvin. Regular time. Amen? We got it fixed up with the cameras and everything that we'll be able to do it. So we'll have it. Last week, boy, I had, I, I kind of got surprised because I did two services at Stowe and, and uh, I didn't know I was going to have a question and answer period afterwards. The two questions that really stick in mind are the questions that came afterwards. One was about change. And uh, I remember one older lady out in the hallway who remembered Elaine and I when we attended Stowe. 
And she said, Gus, so much change is taking place so quickly. She said, I watched the pews be cut up and thrown into dumpsters. And now we have all these chairs in here. And stove don't look like the stove when Elaine and I attended there. The Vern St. Louis room is gone. Other things are gone. An elevator has been put in. It's changing. The pastor's offices are moving from one side of the building over to the other side. And I shared with them, change is not bad. Always remember, God changes not so much to adapt to a new generation that's coming on board. But he allowed the changes to take place because man is always what? Changing. Man is always changing. The other question that kind of took me off guard was about the pastor. How do you know when to follow a pastor? And there's the pastor sitting in the second row, him and his wife, and somebody's going to ask that question. (laughs) And I brought it right down to the very fact, you watch his life. You watch his life. You watch his life if he's following his teaching in the word of God. That scripture in Romans 3 is very true. The Pharisees say don't steal, but do they steal? The Pharisees say don't commit adultery. Do they commit adultery? Oftentimes, people will tell you, and this is the problem with parenting, we can tell our children not to do something and tell them this is the right thing, but guess who's doing it? And that then really destroys your credibility or the validity of what you're saying or asking of your children. If you tell your children not to smoke, you shouldn't what? Smoke. If you're telling your children not to cuss, who shouldn't cuss? And I understand there's a different age between what children do and what adults do. But the adult need to understand the behavior of that child will mimic what they see in the parent. So we have this large gap of trying to understand what is right. We're going to have a history lesson here for a while. Elaine hates me when I do that history stuff. But history proves points. History proves things to us that we need to recognize. So let's pray. Father, as we go through this delicate subject of what is right, And you have said, Lord, that every man seeth himself right in his own eyes. And because we're 21 years old or 20 years old or we think that we can really reason soundly, we believe we are right. Lord, would you help us to understand why you sent Jesus Christ 
to demonstrate righteousness, but to also teach righteousness. And also, Lord, for us to understand, we have an imputed righteousness that is not our own, but comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because man, even in his righteousness, sins. And Jesus is the only one who took on flesh that did not sin. He is the one who became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Open our eyes, open our ears, deal with our minds, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. Go to John chapter 16. John 16 and verse 8. You find those three things listed, but today we're going to pick on the one that says righteousness. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Why? Why? As an adult, or just being human, we think we are right in all that we do. Because I think it, and I choose to be one who believes what I think is right, I am therefore right. Thank God for the freedom of thinking. Thank God that you have the freedom also to search out a matter, to understand. This is something where many people miss out on. A lot of people are in this world trying to discover happiness. They want happiness. They want joy. They want a peace. I told Elaine some time ago, don't look to me to make her happy. Look to him. I can't do it. I can't meet all her emotional swings and how God completely created a woman. I can't meet all those needs. God can. God gives us the key, though, of how to fulfill all these things. Righteousness leads us to contentment, to happiness, to success, and everything we want. Righteousness. If you choose to live rightly, you will inherit everything that your heart basically desires. And that doesn't mean because you live rightly, you won't suffer. For Peter covers an area that we suffer for righteousness' sake. There's that time in life we're going to suffer. We're going to have the pain. We're going to cry. We're going to hurt. 
But the question is this. Through it all, am I living life the way God has ordained it and desired me to live, and am I doing the right thing? Not according to my righteousness, but according to him. Am I living righteously according to him? Just because I'm 21 or I'm older or whatever does not make me right. Righteousness is something you search out. You see it in history. You weigh it in truth. You deal with the facts. And if you're not willing to deal with history and facts and truth, you will not live in righteousness. Because we see ourselves as intelligent people, rational people who can reason, people with the ability to think deeply and to choose and make decisions. The question is, are we right? We believe we're right, but are we right? We all have our, what, opinions. And everybody's opinion is valid. But also remember this. When you put your opinion out in public statement, it will be weighed by others to see how true it really is. Your opinion will be weighed, will be challenged by others to see the real truth that lies in your opinion. And if your opinion is just flying from the top of your head, if your opinion is not coming from, in a sense, from history, if your opinion is not coming from facts and from the Word of God, then that's all it is, is an empty opinion with no weight to it. We all have an opinion. Western Dictionary. Opinion, a belief not based on absolute certainty. You can make a statement, but it's not based on facts or absolute certainty. And when you give advice, you want to give the best advice you can give. But you also want to give advice that is certain, that is concrete, that has been proven in time, that has been proven in history, that has been proven in the lives of people. Not just your opinion. The belief is based not on absolute certainty or positive knowledge, but on what seems true, what seems right, and what seems oftentimes is not right. It just seems that way because the circumstances around it kind of 
like make it, well, this is what really is true. And it may not be true. When you begin, begin to deal into the lives of people and the hurt and the pain that people have went through from childhood to adulthood, when you really begin to listen to their story, and one of the things I learned at Akron General, because one of the things we had to go through was listening classes, to listen to the patient, to listen to what's going on in their life, listen to their fear about their surgery, listen to their fear and their emotions about death, to, 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 to hear their fears about cancer or the kidneys failing, to, to hear their story in their life. You learn to listen. When you recognize a lot of us in life are reactionaries. We're reacting to how we were raised. We were reacting to what's happened to us in life. We are reacting from anger. We're reacting from hurt. We're reacting from the pain that has endured in our life. When you can begin to add up a person's life, you see the person differently than what the person presently presents themselves. You see somebody different now. Why? You're dealing with the truth of that person's life, not the pretense of what they want people to see, but now the reality, what has created them in a sense and made them into the person that they are. Opinion is always a judgment which is open to dispute. Truth and righteousness is not open to dispute. Either it's wrong or it's right. As human beings, we want a gray area. We want an iffy area. We want a butt area. We want an escape route from having to deal with truth or our own ideal of what truth and righteousness is. We want an escape route from that. Again, the moment somebody says, this is right or this is the way, there's the challenge, the dispute, the questioning, the argument that comes forth. And that's the purpose of conviction, that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of righteousness, of what is right. And what is wrong. And in that we do in a sense dispute with God. And sometimes in that dispute what we're trying to say. God you're wrong. God you're wrong. God you're wrong. And God is not wrong. I may not agree with him. I may not understand it. It is a walk of faith. 
it is the just shall live by faith, not by everything they understand, everything they know, but it is by faith that we believe him. And we've lost that. And we've got to regain it. We're going to dispute with God. We dispute with his word. That's why a lot of people don't read the Bible, study the Bible. Because when they're reading and study, they disagree with so much that God has said, not understanding, is for my good. It's for my good. It's for my good. Two verses I want you to really put up here. Settle it in your mind. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. Go to verse 4. That's where I want to go. Listen to what he says. Not at all. Let God be true. And every man or what? That when you argue with God, the perception from your very beginning is that you're the one that's wrong. Although you're trying to prove that God is wrong. From the very beginning you are wrong and God is saying you're lying because you will not accept what is true. And therefore, only one of us is speaking truth, and the other one is what? Lying. One is speaking truth, and one of us is lying. Both of us is not speaking truth. We both can agree with truth, but oftentimes we both are not speaking truth. Or righteousness. Why would you put that in your own mind, your own heart? Let God be what? True in everything. And every man a liar if it does not agree with his word or his way. And you can see it in life. When people live outside of the ways of God, their life is cursed and they're struggling constantly. They're struggling constantly. They're trying to make it constantly. And there's never a breakthrough. And we'll read that in Proverbs. That God blesses the home of the righteous. He curses the home of those who live outside of righteousness, who live in wickedness. But he blesses the home that lives under righteousness. Next verse I want you to put in your mind and really hold to it is simply this, because each one of us have to make this decision. Either God is wrong, either God is lying, either this Bible is a history book, or this Bible is just poetry, or this Bible is literature. It's great literature. Romans 4, verse 21. Be fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Be fully persuaded God is able 
to deliver his word. What he says he will do. What he says he will do. Be fully persuaded about that. That what God says in his word, he's more than capable of doing it. Of doing it. Of doing it. Preachers, elders, Sunday school teachers, deacons, nobody can persuade you to believe what God's word says other than the Holy Spirit and you accepting it. That's why the Holy Spirit will convict us of righteousness. People are good in trying to put people on guilt trips. People are good trying to tell other people what to do and this and that and how to do it. But the one who has to really, really order your steps in your life is the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. Mom and dad only teach you for about maybe the first 10, 11, 12 years of your life. When you get 13, 14, 15, guess what you start doing? You start thinking more on your own, more on your own, more on your own. You start getting your counseling from your friends, from school, from counselors at school, from everybody else. And mom and dad's words become what? Less and less and less important to you. And as we get out into this world and we start mingling with the world and Satan starts teaching us and we hear all this other stuff, God's word becomes less and less important to us. Not understanding, living in righteousness and constantly searching God's word out leads us to happiness, joy, contentment and confidence in ourself. Hold those two verses. I want to give you just seven quick names. Then we're going to go back and look at scripture again. Hamir Abi wrote the Babylonian laws and codes 1810, 1750 B.C. before Christ. He was the sixth Amorite king of the old Babylon Empire. See if you recognize one of his codes or one of his laws. Innocent till proven guilty. Innocent till proven guilty. Now we think that's just an American law. (laughs) Somebody was doing historical work. And they said, boy, this would be great to put into American law. You are innocent until proven guilty. Then when you look at Ramsey II, Pharaoh Ramsey II, Egypt, he ruled Egypt for 65 years. He died at 90 years old. Now you think in 65 years he would have it right. But when you read the rest of his history, and read all the sinful things that he did, 
you see all the wrongness. Yet he's one of the greatest men in history. Cyrus, the great, who conquered Babylon and let Israel go free. He was the founder of Persia and pulled Persia together. That Philip was able to begin to rule, who was Alexander the Great's father, who also began to conquer. And here is this young man at 30 years old, 33 years old, that dies, but never, never lost a battle. In every military school, his strategy is still studied because he was that good when he came to war. That good. Jasper, remember the things we used to learn? And, well, when I was a young man, I used to fight quite a bit. But when I went to the Marine Corps, I learned how to fight. You just didn't try to hit somebody in the face. You want to hit here. You want to hit here. You want to hit down here. Because there's no fairness in fighting. And by hitting certain points of the body, all you wanted to do was to stop the blood from going to the head for just about a second or two, which would cause a person to be dizzy enough for you to win your fight. That's all you wanted to do. One man said it right. A Marine is taught to do one thing, kill. And the general was correct. You drop Marines in the middle of the battle, not on the outskirts. In the middle, and we fight our way out. God has dropped us in the middle of a sinful world. And we are the light and we're fighting to share his word and to be a witness for him. And we need to understand that. You got Alexander the Great and all that he's did. Sen Shin Hung invented the title Emperor. He would not take the title king or what he was a Chinese. He invented the word emperor and started to unify China. Julius Caesar, though they killed him in the Senate because they were fearful of him, he built Rome into be the mightiest, mightiest army in the world and was known worldwide. Epicurus, a Greek scholar, 341 B.C., founder of the Hellenistic philosophy. He's the one who stated, death is not feared. I catch the other part of the statement. God do not punish humans. How many people you hear talk about? 
God is too loving to send a person to hell. God's too loving to do this. God, you know where that's coming from? That philosophy. That philosophy. It is right as you will find these words. See if you recognize these words again. All men are created equal and with inalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. You know where those words are found at? The Declaration of Independence. But those fathers of America did not come up with these words. Those words were spoken thousands of years earlier. If all these people were as great as history says they are, could not one of them teach us or be that example of righteousness? And yet none of them carry the title of righteousness. And as you read their history, the cruelty that comes forth from them, And Jesus Christ alone comes to show us what it is to be righteous and then the results of righteousness in our living. Go to Judges. Let's see what it said about us. Judges 21. Because we need to be able to understand What kind of people are we? And remember, Israel was somewhat set up to mirror the rest of the world. In Judges 21 and verse 25, some translations would say, every man saw himself right in his own eyes. And the NIV it says, in those days Israel had no king or no authority. See, one of the things I shared with Stowe last week was this. There are things that are wrong, and we were talking about God brought in affirmative action, and affirmative action might be removed. But affirmative action is a law to force certain people to do right among other people. The only way you know if that law has had an effect is if you move the law and people do it on their own without being forced. He says, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. When God doesn't rule your life, God's not over your life. God's not the authority in your life. God's word has no meaning in your life. You don't really study God's word. You make up your own rules. You make up your own code. You make up your own philosophy. And you follow that. And you believe it to be right. And it may be taking you to damnation, to destruction. And we see people following what they think is right. And their lives are in ruins. Because they will not add heed to the word of God. 
outside of righteousness, self-righteousness only brings destruction. Outside the righteousness of God is the happiness, the joy, the peace, the contentment, the success in life. But self-righteousness, self-philosophy, following your own way of thinking, understanding your ways are not God's ways, and God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than ours. And we have to learn those things. We have to learn them. And he says, everyone sees himself right. Go to Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12. One of the things that I'm discovering as I'm doing research at absentee fathers is this. They don't want to listen. They don't want to learn. They just want to do life their way. They don't want the responsibility of a wife or children. They don't want the responsibility of spending their so-called money on somebody else. It's just strictly on who? Themselves. And we have this big void of absentee fathers who can ride around in nice cars, dress real nice, and sometimes don't have that, but don't do one darn thing for their child or for the woman who bore their child. In Proverbs 12 and verse 15, listen to what he says. The way of a fool seems right. The way of a who? Of a fool. And a fool will argue you all day long over their opinion and what they think is right and never present one fact, one historical story, not show anything that says they're right other than they believe they're right. They believe they're right. And God calls that person a fool. Because their righteousness is based on their own so-called experience and life and what they've learned rather than upon his word and what he teaches them. And he says, the fool, the ways of a fool seems right to him. But a wise man, look, listens to advice. Where is he getting it from? God. If any man lacks wisdom, God says in James, let him ask of me. He doesn't direct us to somebody else. He always tells us to listen to good counsel. But if you're lacking wisdom, if you're lacking discernment, if you're lacking knowing what to do, you asked him. You asked him. And see if he won't direct. He won't give you insight. Go over to 14, verse 12. Again, look what he says. There's a way that seems right. There's a way that seems right. It looks right. Because of this circumstances and because this is what's happening in my life and this is what's happening in my life. That 
okay, it's right for me to do this because of this and this and this. You ever heard people say, well, you made me do it. If you wouldn't have did that, I wouldn't have did this. See, God holds us all accountable. Not to look at the other person and say what they did, but to look at him and do what is right in his sight. To do what is right in his sight. Not in what other people are doing to me. Because sometimes people can do things that hurt us and we want to react. And most of the time our reaction is wrong. And God says, give him a drink of water. When I hired in at Chrysler, Guy Coleman, some of you have heard this story before. First of all, when I went to Chrysler, Howard Beck told me I didn't qualify. He was the general foreman. I got four years apprenticeship. I have my certificate from the state. I'm the second black man in the state of Ohio with heating license. In sheet metal as a journeyman. I still, I carried my journeyman card and I paid my withdrawal dues until I was about 50 years old, even after I left college. I said, if they ever kicked me out the church and didn't want, want me to pass, I'd go back to sheet metal and do one. And finally, God told me one day, get rid of your safety net. I'm your safety net. <laughs> and I called the union and I told them, I will not be paying my dues any longer so you can take me off the book. But Howard Beck told me, you don't qualify. Chrysler called me and asked me, Mr. Brown, can you come up? We'd like to talk to you. I can't think of the guy in human service, but he called me and he said, Chrysler is not prejudiced. I want to hire you. But I'll hire you only on this condition. If you get in a fight, I'll fire you. If you fight, I'm going to fire you. He said, can you accept that? And I looked at what they was going to pay me. Yeah, I can accept that. And the very first day, and I was sharing this story last week out of Stowe. And my question at the end of it was simply this. Was it right? Guy Coleman, they called him Red. He was red from here down to here. You talking about a redneck? That's the first time I ever saw a real redneck. He was red. And we're walking down the aisles because they put me with him for my 90 days of training. And guy walking down the hall, he said, I don't work with no niggers. My reply was, I don't either. I could have took offense and I could have said, I'm right. Who are you think you're calling a nigger? Who are you doing this? No. There's a time to speak and there's a time 
not to speak. And you have to know when to speak and when not to speak. This woman, boy, when I was doing heating, I'm I'm sent out to this house, lovely house, but when that white woman came to her, to the door, with her little baby doll nightgown on and this and that, I went back to my truck. Y'all got to send somebody else out here. Because me being a black man, if I go in there and something, the wrong thing, I'm in trouble. I'm out of sheet metal. I'm out of heating. I'm out of everything. See, is it right that I should live under a certain type of fear or certain things I can't do or this thing? Is that right? Is it right that I should be judged for my color rather than just be accepted as a human being? Is that right? And God straightens all that out. But it cannot be straightened out by law. It has to be straightened out by heart. By the heart. And he says, to every man... Even in slavery, as wrong as it was, they saw themselves what? Right. When people do things to you, they see themselves what? Right. They see themselves that way. Elaine was telling me about an incident between her and Kelly yesterday, what they witnessed of this guy he stops the car right there in front of our house. He gets out the car. He goes around the other side. He's calling this woman in the car, be this, this, that, just the cussing, everything. Elaine grabbed Kelly, and they came into the house. The thing is, was it right for the woman to have to be treated that way? The man most likely saw himself right in everything he was saying, but he was totally wrong. Why? Things sometimes seem like it's right to a man, but in the end leads to death or destruction. Leads to death or destruction. Proverbs 18, verse 2. And I got to run a little bit. Yeah, we'll make it. 18, 2. He simply says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding. When you're trying to talk to people and give them understanding about facts and about life or about this or about that, understand the fool doesn't want understanding. He just wants agreement. When people come to you just looking for agreement of how they behave, what they did, choices they made, They're not looking for understanding. They're just looking for you to agree and say, okay, you were right. That's all they're looking for, is someone to say they were right and approve their action. But the wise person is looking for a deeper understanding. They want to know more. And they're willing to accept that they were wrong. And really to make whatever changes is necessary to do what is right. But the fool doesn't seek understanding. 
He only seeks one thing, his approval. His approval. And he says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. So all you can do with a fool, get yourself a comfortable chair, sit back, and just listen. Now let's look at what God is going to say in some of these things. Go to Romans 3.10. And next week we'll hit a little deeper on this area of righteousness and why the Holy Spirit has to really perform it. I'm hoping I'm laying some groundwork that this is something we all need. Man hates to be corrected. Let me be honest. I hate to be corrected by that woman. Inside, if she could see the explosions that's taking place on the inside. But I learned something over the years. If my boat sank, whose boat sank? Hers. She's safeguarding me from making a mistake that our boat, what? (laughs) Doesn't sink. (laughs) But just because I'm a man, (laughs) we have trouble sometimes hearing what our wives are saying. And it's so important for us to learn and train and teach ourselves to hear our wives. Why? They're in this fight with us. What I gain, she gains. What she gains, I'm gaining. We're in this thing together. There's nobody closer than my wife. Nobody's word I value more than hers, even though she thinks sometimes, you're not even listening to me. I hear and I weigh it. And a man should always weigh it and weigh the counsel of those that are close to him. That doesn't mean follow it. That means weigh it, examine it. How true is it? How good will it be for our family? And he simply says there, 310, when we get back there, this is what he says, because this is where man thinks he is. As it is written, there is no one righteous. There is not one righteous man in this world. We all have a motive. A motive. When I first saw that young lady with her little yellow shorts and white gloves, she said she don't remember she was wearing shorts. Then with some cut off pants made into shorts. I remember them things. They, they, And the whole process, what's our motive? What's our motive? Most men start chasing women for the wrong motive, not understanding. They're chasing the person who they love. It's the woman who has to test, do you really love me? 
Well, a man is just like a dog. He's just sniffing. But the woman is the one who says, no, 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 no. And like I told one woman not too long ago, she was making a trip down to visit a man. I said, don't show yourself weak or needy, but be a strong, godly woman. And if the man is interested in you, he'll chase. He'll chase. He'll chase. Young ladies, nothing wrong with having the man chase you. Now, once he catches you, that's a whole nother story. But, but, but at least make him chase. Make him run after you. Make him want to desire you and want you. Now, he says, there's none that is righteous. No, not one. So we all have wrong motives. We're all wrong. Because there's none that is righteous. No, not one. Over to 2 Timothy now. 3.16. There's none that is righteous. If there's none that is righteous, then what is it that God has to do? And, 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 And that's something only God's able to do. And we have to hear what he says here. It's so important to catch what God is going to say. Because, see, we think we know it all. But look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed of God and is useful for it. One, teaching. Two, rebuking. Stop. Correcting. Telling you the right way to do. And training in what? In righteousness. We think we know what is right. We think because we have dealt with something where it is right. He says for us, we have to renew our minds because we've been taught to think like the world rather than like God. We have to renew our minds. And the Holy Spirit renews our mind. And he begins to teach us what is really right from the perspective of God, not the world. But what is right? Elaine and I were about ready to face a divorce. And we both made a decision. We're just going to stay in this marriage. I was ready to go. She was ready to go. But God kept us both. And when we discovered doing what God wanted us to do. It wasn't based on what she did or what I did. It was based on a relationship with him and me living rightly before her as a godly man and she living rightly before him and before me as a godly woman. That this thing began to really come together and God has kept us. Because it's not my righteousness, it's not her righteousness, it's not how she may want to deal with me, but how God wants her to deal with me. It's not how I would feel or the way I want to deal with her, it's how God wants me to deal with her. Which is totally different than the way of the world. We was talking last night after that, in, after that incident, we was heading out to Home Depot. And I thanked her. I said, I thank you for never calling me out of my name. 
And she said, you've never called me out of my name. You've never called me a B. You've never cussed at me. And we just thanked each other for being kind to each other. Love conquers all things. We just have to hang in there. And he says he's teaching us not to love the way the flesh loves, but to love the way God loves. He's teaching us. He's teaching us not to respect somebody the way the world respects them, but the way in which God wants me to respect them. We respect them. God is teaching us right. That's why today we're so confused. We can't understand or discern what is really right and what is wrong. We're calling wrong right because that's what people want to do. So they must be right because that's what they want to do. And they are wrong. And parents have become so bad with this. We won't say to our children, you're wrong. I told my granddaughter, I didn't do your basement because of you. I did it because of the two great-grandchildren. If it was just you, I wouldn't have done a thing. Because I don't agree with your lifestyle. Now, I don't have to go through a whole bunch of cussing, a whole bunch of this or that. I don't have, no, I don't agree with this. There would be more I would do, but I will not assist. Sin. My grandson, I, w- I don't agree with this lifestyle. You have to say to your children, yes, they're grown. You can't make them do sometimes, but you can sure let them know you don't agree with what's going on or with that decision because it's not following the Lord. And he says he's going to teach us righteousness. Why? We are a people who have to learn righteousness. Not how I think about righteousness, but that it is from God and his righteousness, and I'm willing to surrender myself to it. Jeremiah 23, 6. Look what he calls, look what he says here. Jeremiah 23, 6. Look what the Lord says. And then he says it also over in 1 Corinthians. Let me get there. 23 and verse 6. In that, in his day, Judah will be saved. Talking about future. Israel. Judah is just another name for Israel. Judah will be saved. And Israel will live how? In safety. So talking about future. But look at this name. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord righteous. No. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord are my righteousness. Proverbs 35. Proverbs 30. 
in verse 5. And I think those of you who are normally not in here for sitting today, but this morning as I was downstairs going through this, the Lord said, just ask everybody to be here. Why? We need to understand it's not my thinking of righteousness. It's getting to know God's righteousness and what God expects. And that's what is righteous and what God asked me to do. 30 verse 5. Look what he says. This is one of your memory verses you want to hold to. Every word of God is what? Flawless. Every word. Let God be true and every man a liar. Why? Man's words are not flawless. God's word is flawless. There's no error in it. There's no mistake in it. I can trust it. I can stand on it. I can believe in it. Every word of God, I'm persuaded that God is able to bring about his word in my life. I'm persuaded God is able to do and perform every promise he's made to me. I'm persuaded that he's able. Are you persuaded? Do you see his word is flawless? Gus Brown did not go through college on his own. God was my teacher. God took me through. God took me through the test. God took me through things. Gus Brown is not the preacher. It is the work of the Lord within. God's word is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. If you would take refuge in God's word and pray God's word and claim God's word over your life, what a difference it'll make. Don't look for anybody else in this world to make you happy or cause you to feel confident in yourself or to build your self-esteem. You get into God's word and you understand who you are, a daughter of God, a son of God, he will lift your self-esteem. And as you wrap yourself in his word and you stand on his word, he'll begin to open doors and shut doors. He'll begin to move people out of your life and new people into your life. Where you thought you couldn't make it, you'll find you're walking on easy street with him. Proverbs 3. Another verse. Make this your home verse in a sense. In verse 33. And what I want you to recognize in this verse is your choice. Is your choice. Is your choice. God does not force himself into our lives. God does not force us to walk in obedience with him. 
God doesn't make us. It's a choice we have to choose. And this is what he's giving us here in that verse 33. He says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. The Lord's what? Curse is on the house of the wicked. Is God's word true? Either is yea or is not. Look at the second part of this verse, because it's a conditional verse. But the blessings, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He blesses the home of the righteous. He blesses the home of the righteous. If you don't see your life full of blessings, if you don't see your life full of success, if you don't see your life as one that is overcoming, you have to ask the question, why? Are you being cursed by God or are you being blessed by God? See that little word that we've coined today? Everybody, boy, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. See, if I'm blessed like you, I don't want them blessings. When I look at your life and the messed up life and what you don't have and the peace you don't have and the struggles that you're in, but I'm blessed. The only place that you're blessed at is this. You woke up this morning. But the rest of that life you need to examine. Is it a curse from God? Or is my house blessed? Every now and then, as I walk through the garage, that car out there is 12 years old. And I'll put my hands on it and I'll say, Thank you, Lord. It hasn't been in the shop too much. Only thing I've had to do is some oil change. And I say, Thank you, Lord. Then I put my hand sometime on my bike, and it allows me to remember when Roscoe and I would ride, and Roger and James always be out riding, and, and just the fun we had just riding. And I say, Thank you, Lord. Then I put my hand on my truck and say, Thank you, Lord. When I need something from Home Depot and need something over here, I have a way of getting it from there to here. Thank you, Lord. Then my wife's car, thank you, Lord. Then I go in the home sometime and I'm just touching the dining room table saying, thank you, Lord. I got a dining room with a table. When's the last time you walked through your life and the things that you think you have earned and reminded yourself every good and perfect gift cometh from above and you need to just say thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord it reminds me I didn't do this on my own 